Hi, I'm Lauren Dimmitt-Waters. Hi, I'm Alyssa Chapman. We're two New York City bloggers and influencers who have been covering beauty, fashion, and family life for what seems like forever. But now we're two women in midlife who want to discover all the secrets to growing younger. We're ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, lifestyle, wellness, and longevity. We'll unearth what works and what you shouldn't waste your money on. Even if it's crazy, we'll hunt down the latest and greatest to help us all get through this journey with a little humor. And a lot of moxie. We want to keep fighting that fight so we can grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hi. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Lauren. How you doing? It's a happy new year. I know. Happy new year. 2020. I can't believe it. Here's to 2020 vision. I'm so excited for this new decade and feeling better and aging a little bit better and younger. How about you? Yeah, I actually really am all about 2020s about because that last podcast that we did where is skinny the new healthy, I really felt that struck a chord in so many people. And, you know, skinny is not healthy necessarily. So I'm all about really feeling healthy, not necessarily being like a, a certain size or looking a certain way. I really want to do a deep dive about health from the inside out. That's why I'm really excited you're even talking about adrenal fatigue because I never even heard of it before. Well, I, I hadn't either really until uh, I was diagnosed with it. So today we are actually interviewing my doctor who helped discover that I have adrenal fatigue, Dr. Anita Sadati. How are you? I'm great and I'm so happy to be here and be with you guys. And can we just first say that you are a real live MD. Like This is not, you know, we're not talking to just some doctor, you know, you're like, you have some serious credentials. I'm looking at this wall over here and Cornell, Swarthmore, uh, NYU, like you are, you're the real deal, uh, Dr. Sadati. So can, can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about, you know, about your background and how you got into functional medicine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to try to make it quick because I think there's so much material we want to cover. So, um, so I'm just going to give my background quickly. Um, I went to medical school in Cornell. I did my residency out here in Long Island at Northwell, which is currently now Northwell in OBGYN. And I joined a very busy, huge, busy practice. Um, we were delivering about a thousand babies a year. Um, and so most of my time, my first, I'm going to say 15 years of my practice was really all about pregnancy and deliveries. Um, I didn't, know that much, believe it or not. You'd think you'd go through four years of medical school, four years of residency. You're going to know about female hormones. Not so much. I mean, it was really learning on the job. It wasn't until I probably, I guess, 14 years into my practice that I started realizing, you know, there are women having a lot of hormone imbalance issues that I couldn't really help them with. If I, if I, if they weren't healed by giving them Prozac, or a birth control pill or hormone replacement, I really didn't have anything. And it wasn't just me, you know, because I'd say, okay, I may not know hormonally how to manage this issue that, that my patient has, but I'm going to send her to the experts. I'm going to send her to endocrinologists. These are hormone specialists. I'm going to send her to reproductive endocrinologists, the hormone experts. And they were coming up zero as well. Wow. So my patients were sitting there getting answers like, yeah, everything's fine. You're normal you know, even though they felt terribly, you know, there was definitely a shift in how they felt. 
many different symptoms like fatigue or like brain fog or no libido or can't lose weight and, you know, all kinds of things. And we were, you know, kind of like shaking our heads now. Well, the labs are normal. Nothing wrong with you. Do, do you feel like because, you know, nothing wrong with you that a lot of times patients started, maybe were put on medications they didn't necessarily need, like anti-anxiety or, and, and you know, and, and remember how a lot of times, like, especially, you know, I always think back to that movie Francis with Jessica Lange, mm-hmm. where she was, you know, just a little high strung and they put her, you know, they gave her electroshock therapy. Right. It's like, women are always like, you know, hysterical. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's like, oh, we just have to, they're hysterical. <laughs> and, and <laughs> right? A hundred percent. You know, this is, this is, this is exactly, I think you hit the nail on the head. What happens is that uh, a patient will have a constellation of symptoms that don't fit a particular disease or symptom pattern. And so what ends up happening is that you just individually start managing one symptom separately from the next. And that's how you end up having four, five, six, seven medications to deal with the different symptoms that you have. Wow. So you're 100% right. And then guess what? You get side effects to that medication. So now you need medication for the side effects for the first medication. And so it goes. So it's a very slippery slope. And that's 100% how, how women get sort of shelved into this polypharmacy management, you know, as opposed to saying, well, why am I feeling this way? Like, how about we uncover why this is happening to me? Well, I think that's something that I know that is important. I know that Melissa and I have talked about this is that women have to be, and men, whoever's suffering their own advocate for, for health. If you're not feeling well and a doctor says to you, you know, you're fine, we've run all these tests, then you're just, you have to kind of fight for the answers. But it was like, it was a relief to me to find out that it wasn't all in my head and that there was stuff going on. But can you explain and just define what, uh, what adrenal fatigue is? A lot of people don't seem to know what it is. So I like to use the term adrenal fatigue more to describe what a patient is feeling as opposed to that meaning that your adrenal is broken. That is not at all what's going on. The organ itself is not injured. It's not diseased. It's not disabled in any way. It's just that the communication between the brain and the adrenal is somehow disrupted and for a variety of reasons that we'll get into. But the, the term adrenal fatigue is really helpful because it really, it resonates with the patient about what they're feeling. Okay. Okay, so when I say adrenal fatigue... I mean that your stress hormones are imbalanced in such a way that they begin to manifest in multiple different areas of function. So um, if you want me to, I can tell you what I think of the five big symptoms of adrenal fatigue. Well, first, before you do that, I'd love to hear, I I want to know what, maybe so people understand what the adrenal gland is. Let's start at the beginning. What is the adrenal gland and why is it important? Can I just interject for a second? Because, um, to me, it feels like, and I could be totally wrong, but I I know so many women our age that are having issues with their thyroid. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like it's, I don't know, at a certain age, I feel like all these women that I know hit a certain age and they're either getting their thyroid out or, God forbid, they're getting thyroid cancer. And doesn't that also control the hormones? And is it related in any way? Or A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So adrenal function and thyroid function are very interrelated. 
And as a matter of fact, if you have issues with thyroid imbalance, that is going to impact your adrenal imbalance. If you have adrenal issues, that can make your thyroid not functional. So for example, you know, like exactly what you said, let's say a patient has all of a sudden underactive thyroid. That seems to be the most common situation for a variety of reasons, but low acting thyroid. They go on thyroid medication. The expectation is, oh, okay, I'm going to feel energized. I'm going to be clearer. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to have more energy. And then even though the blood tests now show that you're quote unquote normal, you're still not feeling that great. So why would that be? Because you, it requires adequate adrenal function for the thyroid hormone to actually have its benefit and its effect. So there's a bi-directional relationship. Like, you know, if your thyroid's not good, the adrenal may not be good. If your adrenal's not good, the thyroid may not be good. Is that also the same then with your hormones? Is that all related? They all interact. Right. But definitely with female hormones, Mm -hmm. thyroid is important. Adrenal, I would say even more so. Wow. So so if we back up to your original question, what does the adrenal gland do? Yes. Okay, so the adrenal gland has many functions, and I'm gonna. This is actually key because when women start getting into transitions of hormones, let's say when you get into your late 30s, early 40s, which is kind of the beginning of perimenopause. Mm-hmm. Perimenopause to me is your 40s. I mean, if you're if you're 40, you're in perimenopause. Menopause is another big transition where you're actually losing most of the ovarian hormone production. Not all of it. You're still making testosterone from the ovary, but you lose your estrogen, progesterone. Those transition points are big ones where if your adrenal's not right, you're really going to suffer. So the adrenal is responsible for number one, stress hormones like cortisol. So that's your fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we think about, um, you know, running away from a, from a woolly mammoth or an animal, like you have to get your heart rate up, your blood pressure up, your senses become more acute. You have to mobilize blood sugar to get your muscles the energy it needs to run away to get away. That's all cortisol and it's adrenaline. So those are two big major hormones that are produced by the adrenal. But additionally, you also have things like aldosterone, which is uh, a hormone that actually uh, helps balance your blood pressure and your water, your, your fluid balance. So a lot of women with adrenal fatigue actually end up peeing constantly. They constantly have to pee. They always have because they're not able they don't have enough aldosterone to really hold on to water. So that's a very common symptom is urinary frequency. Um, the other thing is that your adrenal is responsible for your sex hormones. It makes estrogen, it makes progesterone, it makes testosterone. So that's important because when your ovary starts to decline in what it's making, if you have an intact adrenal, you're not going to be so out of balance. You're going to feel good. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's such a like a disparity in women. Some women go through menopause. They're not a problem. Oh, I had a little a little hot flush or get a little wetness on my brow. That was it. You know, and other women are dying, you know, up all night, sweating 20 times a day, can't get up in front of, you know, their group of uh, employees to make a, you know, to to give them a talk or something because they're just sweating and flushing and red and et cetera. So it's, you know, it's variable because I think it depends on how intact is your adrenal. So, but men can also have adrenal fatigue, correct? hundred percent. 100%. Yeah. Are there different signs in men, or it's basically the same? In men, they're not as obvious. So uh, if we go ahead and talk about what the symptoms are, um, men are going to have more of the the non-female hormone type symptoms, obviously. So there's a lot of overlap. But the difference is that because 
men have sort of variable sources of testosterone production. They don't necessarily have the symptomatology that women have. So women can have it just much harder because they really rely so much on the female hormones for how they feel and how they look and how they think. Um, whereas men have this sort of steady state of testosterone production. That doesn't mean the adrenals won't affect them. I mean, low libido, um, erectile dysfunction, low energy, um, inability to um, accumulate skeletal muscle mass, you know, so all of those things. So interesting because I, I wonder how many women in our group, after hearing this, are going to look at their husbands in a totally different way and say, hey, you know, he, he has a dream. <laughs> A lot of the symptoms, I think, you know, maybe the men that are being treated for ED, you know, like you really have to unpack all these things. So you don't have to have all of these. Um, Typically, if patients have three or more, then I'd say you should be suspicious that this could be something that you're suffering from. Um, So the big five are one is weight gain or weight loss resistance. The second one is fatigue, so that's in the name, so that's pretty clear. Three is female hormone imbalance symptoms. So that's a pretty broad category Mm -hmm. because you're going to have different symptoms based on how old you are and where you are in your reproductive hormone life. So severe menopause symptoms when you hit menopause, um, severe perimenopausal issues when you're in your 40s, uh, significant PMS or irregular periods or fibroids or breast tenderness or acne. I mean, those all fall into sort of female hormones. So it's a very catch-all kind of um, uh, wastebasket term. But it, the reason it is that way is because your hormone imbalances are going to manifest differently depending on your age. Uh, the fourth thing is gut symptoms. So that's interesting. But a lot of women start developing more bloating, more IBS. They might get reflux constipation, diarrhea, um, food intolerances. So, you know, something along the gut axis is usually present. And then finally, you're going to have something in the mood category. So that's generally depression or anxiety or just impatience and irritability. um, Wanting to kill your husband? Yes, the wanting, killing of the husband. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big one. Um, and, And also insomnia. So those are, that that falls into kind of brain type symptomatology. So typically three or more, I'm going to be very suspicious that adrenals are involved, or at least that's going to be one of the earlier things I want to test for. So it sounds like when I, well, you, when I came to see you, you had me fill out some paperwork that asked me questions and then you totaled them up and it said, you know, if you rate over whatever the total score was, like what was it, 60, then Mm -hmm. you're in adrenal failure. And I think I came out like 95 (laughs) or something insane. I was like, oh my God. Um, But, you know, I attributed it to, well, first we thought it might be from um, toxicity from anesthesia and or uh, menopausal symptoms. So could a lot of women that are uh, thinking that this is all menopause, because I'm meeting so many women that, you know, are saying that menopause is so horrible for them as opposed to some women that breeze right through it, like you mentioned before, could this be a, a confusion or an overlap? I mean, how would you describe that? Because it seems like they kind of could be mistaken for each other. Right. No, I think that's a, a really astute observation. So, I mean, certainly for anyone who is interested in looking at the root cause of their symptoms, it's sort of very simplistic to say, 
oh, okay, I'm not making my estrogen and progesterone, so clearly that's why I feel this way. So that is sort of the, the most like nearby cause. But as I said, if your adrenal and your thyroid, as you said, if those things are intact, the loss of the hormones should not result in these kinds of ex- ex- extreme symptoms. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, you could have mild, but it shouldn't be science debilitating. And some people are debilitated by those. Like I'm reading stories about people that can't get out of bed. Like they go, go, go. And then one day, you know, you've got something that's the Energizer Bunny. And like literally one morning they wake up and they cannot get out of bed. Do you, so someone that's listening to this podcast now and feels that these symptoms really resonate for them, what would be your course of action for them? What would you say, okay, now you, you, you see yourself in what I'm saying. What kind of doctor should they go to? So if, if you think that adrenal, you know, that an adrenal imbalance may be part of what you're experiencing, um, then finding a doctor that, number one, sort of acknowledges and believes that that's even a thing is a little bit challenging. Right. Um, that is typically not going to be somebody who is in your insurance panel, sadly. You know, I mean, our insurance, our whole medical state of insurance coverage is based on allopathic medicine, which is, you know, your conventional normal doctor that you go to and unfortunately in medical school this is not something that they're going to be aware of this is not something that's acknowledged as a thing um i think a lot of endocrinologists now are facing patients who are saying look i think there's something wrong with my adrenal and the endocrinologist will you know they they may acknowledge you know what these symptoms could be but the thing is that the testing is sort of not adequate and secondly in, a, in an endocrinology office, if you don't rate as having significantly abnormally high cortisol levels, which is called Cushing's syndrome, or if you're someone who has zero cortisol, which is Addison's disease, if you don't have that, you're considered to be normal. Wow. Okay. So it's not, which, does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. But let me, let me ask you this, knowing that that's the case and you know, and you don't, you're not one extreme or the other, but you feel badly. What, how does somebody that doesn't live near you, you know, on Long Island, like what kind of a doctor should they be looking for to help them if it's, if their GP isn't going to do it? And by the way, this has been around, right? I mean, this was diagnosed over a century ago for people, why is it that it, it used to be recognized, now it's not again? And how do we, you know, strive to get it recognized again? And that's what, well, I know it's a big question. This is, this is not something that's 100 years ago. I mean, this is many right. thousands of years ago. I mean, Chinese medicine acknowledges the adrenal as an important, you know, energy meridian situation. So it's, this is this is very ancient tradition medicine that acknowledges that a stress hormone imbalance could be responsible for illness and disease and not feeling well, you know. So um, acupuncturists do sort of take that into consideration when they're treating you. The thing is that in our day and age, the level of stressors that we're experiencing from so many of our lifestyle I mean, I don't even love to call them choices because it's just that this is just how you live life in the 21st century. You know, this is just, you know, our food is contaminated. It's not, we don't eat whole food. Everything is processed. Sleep is optional. You know, stressors, you're supposed to work six days a week. You're never supposed to be disconnected from 
job or family or whatever. We're not in nature anymore. We're exposed to artificial light. There's so much that is overwhelming our ability to keep up with the stressors that we feel and experience that it's just, it's, it's taken to a level that you can't yoga this away anymore. Like you can't just go show up to your acupuncturist and that's going to be enough. Like it's just not enough anymore because it's just too much. There's too much overwhelm as far as what your stress hormones are experiencing. So as far backing up to the kind of doctor, there are many doctors that, well, non allopathic doctors who will acknowledge it's naturopaths, acknowledge it, chiropractors, acknowledge it, acupuncturists, acknowledge it. Um, from a, if you want to be working with an MD though, then my particular sort of brand of integrative medicine, I mean, certainly look for somebody who calls themselves an integrative medicine practitioner. That is someone who should be familiar with it, comfortable treating it. That's, that's one easy moniker to use, like integrative medicine. And functional? Would functional that be another? Functional medicine is sort of a type of integrative medicine. Okay. And that's the type of integrated medicine that I practice, which is very root cause oriented. Like we want to find out why you're feeling what you're feeling. We don't want to band-aid your symptoms. So uh, for anybody who's anywhere in the country, the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is IFM, is a pretty rigorous um, board of physicians that train many different types of practitioners, not just MDs, also nurse practitioners, also chiropractors. I mean, it does... A functional medicine practitioner doesn't tell you what that person's background is. Like it could be an acupuncturist, it could be a medical doctor, it could, you know what I mean? So you, it could be a nutritionist, frankly. So you have to, you know, if you want to work with an MD who's a functional medicine practitioner, you've got to make sure they're an MD. Right. So a lot of people call themselves functional medicine practitioners, but that could be a nutritionist. So if you want something beyond that, you need to kind of really detail what is their other training. But if you go to the Institute for Functional Medicine, IFM, they do have um, kind of an address book of practitioners by location. Good. So you can, you know, put in your zip code and you can find out who has been boarded, who is certified through them. And that would be someone who's very familiar with adrenal imbalance and and would sort of know how to test and treat that for the most part. For the most part. Okay. One more question then. How do you test for adrenal fatigue? If you think you have it, you go and you find you find a, a doctor that you will test you properly for it, which I from what I've read is a saliva test more than a blood test. I mean, why don't we talk about that yeah. too? So the testing for adrenal is a little controversial. Okay. Because um, there there are different ways to look at your stress hormones. Saliva will look at what, how much cortisol you have in your bloodstream that's free. So that's sort of what's circulating around in your body. However, that doesn't tell you how much cortisol is present generally. Like what are your stores? What are you metabolizing out of you? So that, so the free cortisol is only like one or 2% of what your body is actually using or has. So saliva will tell you interesting things about the rhythm. Like, you know, there's a circadian rhythm of cortisol production, which is why only doing one cortisol test in the morning, which is how, you know, a lot of doctors may just like your regular doctor may say, okay, let's check your cortisol. They know to check it first thing in the morning, but that's just one point of the day. So that could be normal. But how about if the rest of your day is terrible? Or you're high all day long and you don't know, but, or you're a flat line all day. You know what I mean? So that's, 
one one piece of information is not enough. But a, a saliva test will tell you what your rhythm looks like, but it's only telling you what is happening with one to two percent of your cortisol. Serum is also, it gives you a little bit more information because it includes not just free cortisol, but what's bound up in your blood. But again, you'd have to get that test at least four times in the same day at specific times of the day. So that's, you know, that could be sort of a little bit of a, uh, a con with, with blood serum. And then the third way to test is to do uh, a urine test. So the nice thing about the urine test is that uh, it's easy to collect. You can collect it at home. You don't have to get stuck with a needle at four times of the day. Um, it will measure free cortisol as well as metabolized cortisol. So that's looking at everything that's going on in your body. So you can get the rhythm. You can get what's free. You can get what's total. So I like that test because it gives me a really broad view of what's happening. But I'd like to back up and say, I don't necessarily feel that you have to get tested in order to be treated for adrenal fatigue. If you want to do more, I don't want to say aggressive, but I'd say, you know, more surgical adrenal protocols, then it's best to have the test. But there's a lot that you can do to treat the adrenal without necessarily having the test. Um, I think that in general, the, the treatment plan, the strategy for fixing your adrenal would be something that anybody can do without a formal diagnosis. So even though the diagnosis is very helpful, it really tells us that this is a big piece of what may be going on with you. And you can also formulate very specific and surgical protocols to fix it that's going to kind of expedite your healing. It's by no means necessary. So if you can't find a practitioner, then, you know, I would recommend even doing a questionnaire, an adrenal fatigue questionnaire as a, as a good way to know, yeah, you know what, this may be something I need to look into. And, and let's say that you find out that you do have adrenal fatigue. What is it you recommend that someone can do on their own, uh, you know, in a healthy way too, and not relying on more drugs and, and whatever to combat it that, you know, I'm reading there are things you can do. Yeah. So it all, with adrenal, it, it really comes down to four big pillars, like four big lifestyle pillars that you want to balance. So I don't know if you remember, Lauren, that in the um, adrenal fatigue questionnaire, a lot of the questions were based on your lifestyle. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, so I didn't take it that long ago, and I keep <laughs> taking it because you make me take it every single time I come in to see you. So these, I'm, and I think when I'm doing something, I'm like, who, how is this going to rate? What am I going to give this? Yeah. So I'm, not only am I taking this test a lot, I'm thinking about it. Wait, why do you keep making her take it over and over again every time she comes in? Yeah, because you know what? How you answer those questions ends up um, giving us a sense of whether or not you're moving the needle in the positive direction. Ah. So as the score gets lower, then we know that you're getting closer to healthy. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So she has me every time. Well, I don't want to make it sound like I'm here every week or every, you know, but before I come in, uh, I'm sent a questionnaire that I print, that I print out and I, I fill out to the best of my ability. Same questions every time, but you know, they, I, I was really excited because I knew before I came in, I was like the needle, you know, it was, I rate my score was lower. You want a lower score, you know, a high score is bad in this, in this instance, yes. <laughs> high score does not get you an A. Right. And um, <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, uh, 
And, uh, well, it does get you an A for adrenal failure. <laughs> but but I think that, uh, you know, the last time I came in, I, I mean, I think I was pushing like in the 90s the first time I took the test. And then uh, the second time I was still pushing in the 90s because that's when you had me do that really fun oh, cleanse. Yeah. Oh, that was so fun. And it turned out that we, that, that, we thought it might be because of the toxicity and I was still having the exact same problems. And I was, now I'm like really pissed off because I'm hungry and <laughs> I'm basically eating air. And, um, oh that God. was a lot of fun. <laughs> and that was after 30 days of being on whole 30. I went straight oh into God. the six week cleanse and I wanted to literally shoot myself. But then, um, <laughs> so I, that didn't move the needle much, but then I came in again after we had made some adjustments uh, to actually it was my, my hormones actually and some eating differences in my eating and drinking. And uh, yeah, I noticed, uh, you know, I, I, this time I was like in the 50s, which was pretty huge. That's, that is yeah. huge. How, how many weeks was that? What do you it think? Like, um, it was like, it was over a month. I think it was like five or six weeks, five or six weeks. But that's great. And that yeah. was without any, any medicine? Well, no, I mean, I'm taking some hormone replacement stuff, which has really helped me a lot. But um, I, one of the major things for me, I think that I noticed for myself was, and the thing that was really upsetting me besides the moodiness, uh, uh, was uh, my brain fog. That was, and that, that is something that just, you know, you think you're losing it because you can't remember things and you're just foggy. And, and so that's gotten a lot better. I'm still, I'll still walk in a room and forget why I walked into it. Yeah, but, but, but I do too. Yeah, I'm, I know. I hear that's, I hear that happens to a lot of people. Yes. So, you know, but I am noticing things are, are definitely better, but you know, I, I think that I want, what I want you to talk about too, are these like these mm-hmm. four lifestyle pillars and mm-hmm. also like the things that I've done you know, the yeah. way I eat, the way I'm drinking, like the thing about sugar, you know, there's certain things that you can, you can take control of yeah. and, and, and also supplements. We should talk about that a little bit, but yeah. one more thing I do want to add about that is that people, you know, I, I, I see some boards uh, on Facebook where people, there's menopausal ones or whatnot and women will come on and say, what are you taking for this? And mm-hmm. I'm like, and I'll answer, I write back and I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't be coming onto a group board and asking this question because what works for one person may not work for another. And you're just going to get more confused, which is what I was reading these. And I'm like, please go see a doctor. Yeah. And if your doctor isn't giving you the answers that you're looking for, then find another one yeah. until somebody listens to you because it's not, a, I mean, even with, I'm finding with this, it's not one size fits all, you know, what works for me may not work for the next person. So, 100%. And, and it might even like, if I'm doing the same treatment as Lauren, it couldn't be, it could make things even worse oh, for absolutely. me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, there are different degrees and stages of adrenal imbalance and the treatment that you would do for somebody who's on a more depleted level is totally different than what you would do for somebody who's on a exaggerated cortisol curve. Like it depends on where they are in their whole um, progression of adrenal imbalance. But, you know, to your point, Lauren, like what, I mean, since you brought it up, I'll feel comfortable to say, but once we started really honing in on, you know what, it's really adrenal. This is adrenally motivated more than anything else. That's when I think we were able to really start moving the needle. And it's not always so clear cut. Yeah. In the beginning. Well, I had, yeah. I had two things happening at the same time. I yeah. came out of surgery and I'm like, why am I so foggy? Yeah. And why am I feeling like I'm still like kind of walking around on, you know, like with anesthesia, like yeah. just kind of in a daze when I'm out of surgery. So of course that's what we thought it was. And I kind of thought it was too when I came in mm-hmm. and then 
you know, how was I supposed to know that it was really my hormones? Like, why would that be so much more pronounced after my surgery? Like, you know, so there I was thinking the wrong thing. So if I'm thinking the wrong thing and I'm pretty in tune with my body and, you know, what's going on and I like to seek out answers so I can feel the best that I can. And of course, I encourage women to do the same. You have to be your own advocate. I've stressed that so much. Don't give up on yourself and, you know, find someone's going to give you the answers. But if I thought that I'm wrong, then how many other women are out there walking around self-diagnosing themselves or being wrong and, you know, then going and reading a book and, you know, asking people for their advice and what they did. And again, you can get yourself in a whole heap of trouble doing that. Yeah. So, and, you know, and, and the other things that I like that you, you know, in that scenario of, of people sharing what's worked for them, I mean, certain, certainly that's very powerful and can be helpful for many patients. But you know what? It's that same thought pattern that we have in conventional medicine, which is a pill for an ill. Oh, you have this symptom. Let's give you this pill. You have this symptom. It's not. I mean, you know, if you have a migraine, that could be because you're eating gluten. Okay. Or it could be because you're not getting any sleep. Or it could be because you uh, have a magnesium deficiency. Or it could be because your B vitamins are out of whack. Or it it could be because you have too many toxins circulating around. Or it could be because you're too overwhelming. Like, you can't just say, here's magnesium for you. It worked for me. Wow. Yeah. And I know I'm finding that like I'm finding that. And then also, if you went to your doctor and you said, I have a migraine, they're going to give you a pill for that migraine. And you're not addressing the problem that is really that could stop you from ever getting one again if you get that back in balance. So I I, want to go. What are these four lifestyle pillars? Is that what we were going to talk about? So the four pillars are this. I mean, the the top one is going to be your nutrition. I mean, there's no. I, you know, if you if you already have an amazing diet, what, what I mean by amazing is not that, you know, you never, nothing across your lips is, you know, un, is processed. and It's more like, are you generally eating an anti-inflammatory diet? Is most of your food whole foods? Is it mostly vegetables and fruit and nuts and seeds and legumes and fish? Uh, I personally am a fan of non-gluten. I mean, I don't love grains, but I, you know, that's just, that's just me. But non-gluten grains, at least, and I'll tell you why I have an issue with gluten in general. I think gluten and dairy are two things that are highly inflammatory for so many people. And when you hear the word inflammatory or inflammation, think I'm killing my adrenal because that's how it goes. So whenever your sugar is inflammatory... Messing with my adrenal. Alcohol is a toxin. I'm messing with my adrenal. Oh, come on. In, you know, again, I have women seriously coming to me with uh, how many drinks a week? And it's, let's see, 28? What? A week? Yeah. Three, four glasses of wine a night? Is that a problem? Yeah. Mm, Maybe. But you know what? It's not to them. I mean, that's relaxing. And that's social. Yeah, and right. that's, you know, meditative. And we're not and passing judgment, by the way. It's just not judgment. Right, right. right. It's not but judgment. if it's making you feel like crap, then. But it's something to look into. And, and I remember, because this is before I saw you. I just want, um, you, <laughs> before I saw you personally, I, I heard you speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, to a bunch of my friends and I, and you, you mentioned that how, like, wine at night, because of all the sugar in it, and you're having a glass of wine at, like, 9 o'clock at night. Well, I'm saying, bringing this up, women, because let's all not kid ourselves. I'm, I'm a wine lover. It's, I call it mommy juice. It keeps me going. <laughs> and um, I know I'm going to, this is going to resonate with a lot of women, but you brought up something I will never forget. And you were telling us that that 
glass or two of wine that you're having at night is like the worst thing you could do. And you're going to bed with your sugar levels spiked and everything. And I'm like, okay. And my friends and I all looked at each other. We went white. We literally (laughs) went white. And we're like, okay, is red wine better? And you're like, no, no. And we're like, that wasn't a good night. That was was not a good night for me. It actually, it really almost killed me. And, and then, but really smartly, we asked the question, so what is it that you drink, right. Dr. Sadani? <laughs> we want to know what you're drinking because uh, if you're living living this and you're you know walking the walk and talking the yes. talk, we want to know what you were drinking. And let me tell you, your drink suggestion that you gave us is been added to my, I drink your this repertoire. now, my repertoire. <laughs> and I find now that I don't even drink wine that much. Well, I did over the holidays. I'm not going to lie. But um, you, my, and what you. But did you notice that then because you had been away from it for a while, it wasn't consistent, you could have it and it didn't impact you well, so no, negatively? But, well, no, yes, but also I noticed I don't like the taste. Interesting. Isn't that there weird? That yeah. is weird. Yeah, I for the yeah. first time I I sipped on my Chardonnay and was like, ugh, you know? Yeah, and it was, it was too sugary. For it was you. too sugary. Yeah. So yeah. you can actually so you can actually teach your body to like sort of not not be able to enjoy these things or not not enjoy them crave to crave, crave. yeah, yeah. Crave. and wait yeah. just just let's let's just for these women out there that want to know what this drink is yeah. <laughs> yeah. let's drink. share it because uh you know i think you guys want to know so yeah. do tell us dr study what should we be drinking so, instead of wine now this you know may not work for everybody but to me i i'm i'm good when i have i don't get migraines i don't wake up at one in the morning you know i nothing like the, those were the things that happen with wine um, I do seltzer with tequila and straight lime juice. Like I had them squeeze like a whole lime in it. No, not sweetened lime juice, no agave, nothing sugary in there. And it is so refreshing and it is, it's just clean and it's good. Now you could also use vodka. If you're not a tequila person, vodka would work. You know, again, these are non-glutinous, you know, kind of alcohols, but they're not sugary. So, yeah, you have the toxin. And alcohol, by the way, is a type of sugar. Right. You don't need to add extra sugar. And unfortunately, wine is just super high in sugar. So that's that's the double whammy. So you're getting the alcohol and the sugar. So that's messing with your sugar and insulin levels. That's what's going to spike you to hot flash at night. I mean, women know it. They know they hot flash with their it, wine. It's so, so funny because, like, women and wine, there's this whole, like, thing in society. Oh, wine, you know, wine yeah. Wednesday and... No one ever talks about the wine o'clock through Tuesday. What do you yeah, wine, wine o'clock. It's yeah. five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But it's really hurting women a lot more than it's helping them. Probably well, in a lot of cases. Well, you know that the thing is that the craving for this nightly wine. I, I mean, it could start earlier, but I, I would say that it really starts at forty, and that's because that's where these hormone shifts are happening. Your brain is wanting something to kind of either calm it down or feed it sugar quickly. So wine has that special kind of calming, at least initially very calming, relaxing effect. But all of it is motivated by these now hormonal imbalances that are creating, you know, yeah. So it's, so the craving begets the craving. So the more you have it, the more you want it. Once you stop it and get off of it, the craving goes away. And that's the same with mostly everything. Sugar, with anything. Three days, you're going to be pissed, but then you're going to be fine. Hey, everyone. This interview was so fantastic and so packed with information that we needed to split it into two episodes. Look for the second half of our interview with Dr. Sadati coming next week. See you then. Thanks for listening.